Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. All right, so this week, we're going to talk about the mission. We're going to talk about our call to mend the world. That's going to be our focus. So if you're willing and able, once you stand, we're going to read three brief verses. First from John 13, Simon Peter says to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. Matthew 4. And Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among them. Revelation 21. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. This is the reading of God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but not the word of God. The word of God stands forever. You may be seated. So why do we do this every two or three years? Let's go. Well, we do it because we need to have mission clarity. We need to be clear about who we are and why we exist. We don't want there to be any confusion as to about what we're to be about. Because some things can be very confusing. Like take this sign, diesel fried chicken. I don't know, maybe that's not confusing. Maybe that'd be really good. Or how about this sign? You are now entering the mission field. This sign is often put on church properties for their members to see as they leave the church campus. I mean, it's clear. It's clear that you are to be on mission. But the problem with that sign is that it implies that all the brokenness, all the sinners are out there once you leave the church property. You see, it's really important that we're clear about where we begin to mend the world. So if you've got uh, your booklet, taking some notes, here's the first point. Let's go get mended. In John 13, Peter says to Jesus, where are you going? And Peter says, let's go. You and me, Jesus, we got this. And Jesus says, "Uh, no, Peter, you're not going. This is not your let's go moment. I'm going and you're staying. Peter's ready to go on mission. He's ready to lay down his life. So why does Jesus give him pushback? 
We have to remember that the disciples would often argue among themselves about who was the greatest. You see, Peter is gung-ho. Peter is all, let's go, because he wants to show himself as the best. He wants to set himself apart from others that he's the most dedicated follower of Jesus. Look, Jesus, I will lay down my life. And Jesus says, oh, really? Actually, you're gonna blow it big time. Can you imagine throwing cold water on your most enthusiastic, all in, ready to go follower? But that's exactly what Jesus does. You see, at the core of our hearts is an overwhelming desire to appear right and good and better than others. And we will use anything, especially Christian work, Christian doing, to fill that void. There was a Methodist uh, youth group that was going out on a service day to serve in their community. And this one uh, group was uh, led by a student leader, was serving this widow, doing some things at her house. And, and the, the widow misunderstood, and she thought that they were not from the Methodist church. She thought they were from the Baptist church. And the student leader didn't correct her. And so they get back to the church, and the youth director finds out about this, and he was mad. He said, you let the Baptist get credit for what you did today? And the student leader said, oh, well, I didn't think it mattered who got the credit. You see, often, people who do the most church work, the most volunteering, the most serving, can actually be the unhealthiest people in the congregation, the most spiritually unhealthy, because the energy that is driving their service is to feel good about themselves. And it becomes obvious because they get mad or frustrated that they're not appreciated, they're not used enough, their talents are not maximized or celebrated. Now, how, how do I know this? Well, because I've done it. One time a staff member came to me uh, with some help on a ministry effort we were attempting and I gave them a great idea and I gave them a great plan and this staff person went out and it was a huge success. But then Ray, the staff, and you guys were celebrating this church staff member for all the work they had done, and I got no credit. So, of course, I was real mature about it, right? No, I pouted. I pouted a lot. Jesus tells Peter... He is going to fail him in his attempt to be good and do good. And Peter says, no, I will never deny you. I'll lay down my life. I'm a good disciple. I'm superior. 
And Peter's failure is made so vivid, not only because he denies Jesus three times, but one of the times he denies Jesus is not in front of a religious leader or a soldier, but to a little girl who is challenging him. He collapses under the pressure of a little girl. And then the rooster crows. And the Bible says that Jesus looked across the crowd at that moment and made eye contact with Peter. And it says that he looked at him and he loved him. He loved him at the point of his failure. Now, what kind of church do we want to be? You know, there's two common ways of moving water. You can move water with a pipe, or you can move water with a ditch. A church can be a pipe, or it can be a ditch. A pipe is the gospel goes through us to others, but the pipe, the church remains relatively untouched, just a little wet. A ditch moves water. The gospel goes through us, but the ditch gets messy, soft. It's impacted by the water. Now, a pipe church, it's neater. It looks better. It's pulled together. A ditch church, it's messy. It's full of broken people, honest people who love being in the process of being healed by the love of God. We need, to, we need the mending power of the gospel in order to go out, keeping us soft, soaking in it all the time. You know, after Jesus had risen, he restores Peter fully, and he tells Peter, go be a mender. Now, Peter, is your go time. Feed my lambs. Because now in Peter's life, the grace had soaked into the hard dirt of his life. And he, he was now going to be a messy ditch to which the gospel would go through into the world. Because only the mended can be powerful menders. But you know, there's always been one curious thing to me about Peter's denial, his failure. Why the rooster? Why did Jesus pick a rooster as a signal of Peter's failure? You know, Peter lived in a farming world. He was gonna hear roosters all the time. You see, Peter needed to hear and rehear the gospel that he was a loved sinner, that he was loved at his worst over and over. Look at this picture. This is Ron Hall on the left. The man on the right's name is Denver. Their story is told in a book called The Same Kind of Different as Me. Ron and his wife, Debbie, welcomed this homeless man, Denver, into their life. But before the book came out, Debbie died of cancer. 
Ron and Denver, because of the book and the mission, have spoken at thousands of events. The book became a New York Times bestseller on the, on the list for 132 consecutive weeks. A movie was made about Ron's life with Denver. There is a Broadway play also about their story. So you got a book, you got movies, you got Broadway, you got all these speaking events. I mean, Ron's life and mission was big, impacting many, helping the church to be aware of homelessness. And during an interview at the peak of Ron's success and uh, the mission was buzzing, I mean, this guy was a Christian celebrity. This is what he told them in the interview. I wanna make something abundantly clear. I get way too much credit. People think I've done something great by taking in a homeless man and letting him live with us for nine years. Our story is really about my wife, Debbie, and her Christ-like forgiveness of my betrayal, my adultery, my infidelity, and my guilt. Apart from that, we have no story to tell. There would be nothing else to write about except a failed marriage. Ron hears the rooster, reminding him that he is a loved sinner and that he is a ditch that remains soft with gospel transformation as he goes out, that that's the actual power for the mission. So second, let's men the world. Jesus, Matthew 4, goes throughout Galilee teaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing diseases and sicknesses. So the gospel of the kingdom is good news. Well, what's the good news? The good news is the king has come and the king is gonna set things right. He's gonna heal every disease. He's gonna restore the ruined. So what's our calling? What's our job? Our job is to mend the world, is to cause the earth to flourish. Jesus said, I've come to make all things new. So life is not about you. Life is not about you getting God to do what you want him to do to make your life flourish. Your life is about all of us together locking our arms to bring kingdom healing and mending to the world as God calls us. Seven Rivers exists to bring the healing love of Jesus to broken people and broken places. And we do this with deeds of compassion and kindness and mercy. We show care to the prisoner, the poor, the disabled, the sick, the unborn, the addicted, the unemployed. Wherever there's brokenness in our community, we go to pack the wounds and pain with kingdom kindness. I love what Lewis says. Christianity is a fighting religion. <sighs> fighting. It thinks that God made the world, but it also thinks that a great many things have gone wrong with the world that God made and that God insists and insists very loudly on our putting them right again. So what does this look like? Well, it looks like everything. 
Everything we do is to be on mission. So over two years, we're going to raise, you know, we want 10 million. So how much of that 10 million is going to go to missions? Every penny of it. Because everything we do is to be understood as being on mission. You know, what do you do for work? What you do for work Monday through Friday is your primary calling, your primary mission to which you, it's the way you love your neighbor to bring about flourishing. So as an engineer or a mom or a store owner, a nurse, a doctor, a plumber, all of these are callings and to be understood as a way to love your neighbor and to be on mission. But the church, what's the church? The church is mission headquarters where we gather together to be remissioned. And so we got student ministry and missions trips and missionaries we support in Japan and Bulgaria and Mexico and the Congo. We send out the disaster team to build ramps for the least of these in our community. Grief share, divorce care, community ministries, meal teams, mops, prison ministries, camp. This summer we got 145 kids on our campus every day for six weeks, discipling them, giving them the mission. You know, Seven Rivers Christian School, it's a mission factory. We're teaching the kids the gospel and how to be on mission. Do you know we have, set, we have students that have graduated from Seven Rivers Christian School who are fighting sex trafficking today, who are working in hospitals, in inner city ministries, pastoring churches home and abroad, youth directors, leading in Christian schools, and, and hundreds in lay ministry in their churches. It's also the way we do welcome and hospitality here, how we welcome people. In January and February, we had 261 first-time visitors. <laughs> That's way more than the staff can welcome. It's your job. Just a few years ago, we had a young mom walk through our doors for the very first time, and she sat down right back there. And a woman, an older woman in our church, turned and introduced herself and welcomed her. And as soon as she did that, this young mom started crying. Her husband had left her. He wanted a divorce. And so this older woman brought this young mom to me. But then later I found this older woman. I said, how did you know her? She said, I don't know her. I just met her a few moments ago and I wanted to help her and welcome her. Today, that young mom is converted. Her husband is converted. The marriage has been healed. And their two kids now go to our school. So what does it look like? It looks like the dad who takes his teenagers once a month to visit shut-ins from our church. It looks like you praying and giving and working and worshiping and inviting your neighbor. You know, last week, last weekend, I saw him and I'm like, I can't believe he's in church. This is a, a really old guy in our church. He's a widower. He's very frail. It's very hard for him to get to church, but there he was. And after church, I was a little worried about him. He left before the last song, so I followed him out to make sure he's gonna make it to his car. 
And I asked him, I said, I know it's so hard for you to get here. I mean, what, what gave you the energy to do this? And he said, well, I had to come. He said, my neighbor, who I've been inviting to church for years, was joining that Sunday. And then he just gave me the biggest grin. Mission accomplished. Do you know that, um, do you know that little children's song? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, oh, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine all the time. What was one of the greatest evils that mankind has ever known? Slavery. William Wilberforce, the English abolitionist, fought against slavery for years before it was overturned. But he did not fight alone. In the movie about his life, one of the more dramatic moments is he walks before the parliament and he stands on the parliament floor and he rolls out this petition that goes all the way across the parliament floor filled with all these signatures of nameless saints. People who signed it, people who stood against slavery, people who boycotted it, people who welcomed in runaway slaves. They were unsung, unnoticed, ordinary. The cumulative power of all of these little lights of mine crippled and ended slavery. This little light of mine. There was a PhD student who was writing his dissertation. And his dissertation was to answer this one question. Why do some churches succeed and others don't? Why are some churches dull and, and slow and lack energy? And then why do other churches just seem to have flourishing about them? Here was the conclusion of his dissertation. He quotes Luke 9. Jesus once said, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. He writes, Jesus was stating something very profound, not simply about the individual Christian, but about the body of Christ. If the church is caught up in trying to preserve its institution, if all of its energy is invested to try to preserve itself, then preservation and continuance is exactly what is going to slip out of its grasp. Precisely to the degree that it tries to preserve itself, it will lose itself. On the other hand, if it forgets about itself and becomes involved in reaching out to the world around it, then the church will discover that its institution is being preserved. In other words, 
The very act of ignoring your preservation and concentrating on your mission as a congregation will lead to strengthening your congregation without even trying. It is so gracious of God that if we give up our lives, he will actually allow us to flourish and all of those around us. You know, my kids are all adults now. And they grew up in this church getting this missional DNA in them. And so like my son, when he was 13, he went to Texas to work at a special needs camp, a Christian special needs camp in Texas. And he did this for five summers. And it broke him, but he loved it. Now, fast forward to about a year and a half ago when he was getting married in Rome, Georgia, where he went to college. And at his wedding, he invited a dozen special needs high school kids from the local ministry he had been involved in and some of the leaders who were there to make sure they had a good time at the wedding. Now, it's your wedding. The wedding is supposed to be about you and your bride. That's to be the whole focus of the wedding. It's yours. But he and his bride said, no, it's not going to be all about us. Our wedding is going to bring healing and joy to the most broken among us. And finally, let's go all things new. Paul says in Romans 8 that the creation groans with frustration in futility. It groans for the day of redemption. He says, we also groan because the mission is hard. It can be so discouraging. You know, I've been at Seven Rivers Church for 25 years. And in those years, we've had some ministry efforts that have been very discouraging, very depleting, and feel so futile. I mean, there's times when all of us have poured ourselves into ministry efforts to be only met with frustration and setback. I mean, there's been many times where we have poured a lot of effort into one hurting, broken family. Tons of meetings, lots of prayer, lots of grieving with them, lots of money to help them with whatever they need. And then what happens is they get a divorce. They leave the church, they leave the school. They move away. And last of all, they blame us for everything that happened. It's happened many times. When I was in college, um, I was an engineer major for a few years and I learned about something called the second law of thermodynamics. And this law says that everything, everything is going from order to chaos. Everything is moving from decay towards decay and falling apart. So our bodies, our work, our possession, everything is gonna go in the landfill. I mean, you might find this shocking, but I'm actually not as good as, good looking as I used to be. 
This law says that whatever you build with your life is gonna fall apart and will one day be nothing. Now, when my wife and I first moved to Citrus County, we had literally only been here a few weeks. We went to a pancake breakfast at the Lions Club. Woohoo, pretty exciting. <laughs> so we're at this pancake breakfast and we sit down with this older couple that we don't know. And we're talking and they ask what we did. And I said, oh, I work at Seven Rivers Church. And they just lit up. Oh, we, our neighbors go to your church, the Gregories. Oh, we love the Gregories. We talked a little bit longer and then the old man got kind of sour and cranky. And he goes, the Gregories, they're wasting their retirement. They spend way too much time and money at that church. Such a waste. So are we wasting our time? Are we fools? I mean, is any of this effort gonna have an impact at all? Here's a picture. This man is named Jim Elliott. And Jim Elliott went to the mission field and a lot of people told him he was wasting his life because he was so ridiculously talented. And Jim wrote these words that profoundly impacted me. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus said, I am making all things new. Paul writes about the resurrection in the book of Corinthians. And after his long treatise on the power and the impact of the resurrection, he writes these words. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And I love what N.T. Wright says about Paul's words. What you do in the Lord is not in vain. You are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to roll over a cliff. You are not restoring a great painting that will shortly be thrown into the fire. You are not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You are, strange though it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent helping a special needs child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one fellow human being, and of course, every prayer, Every word and deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way 
through the resurrection power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. That is the logic of the mission of God. God's recreation of his world, which began with the resurrection of Jesus and continues through God's people, means that what you do in the present for him and with him is not in vain. One time Martin Luther was asked by somebody, Martin Luther, if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would you do? If you knew the Lord was returning tomorrow, what would be the work that you'd want to accomplish? And this is what Martin Luther said. He said he would plant a tree. Now, would that be your instinct? To plant a tree? I mean, that wouldn't be mine. Because I have not had the radical biblical view of all things new really penetrate me. You see, Luther said he would plant a tree, he said, because think of how that tree is gonna flourish when Jesus comes back. That this little tree would become a huge flourishing oak. Look at what Psalm 96 says. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. That word judge there, it's the biblical idea of all things new. God's setting everything right, that the trees of the forest are going to sing for joy. I want my tree to sing. How about you? You see, not only is our work in the Lord not in vain, but God is going to take our feeble, stumbling, limping, small efforts to mend the world, and he is going to bring them to bursting fullness that our little trees are going to sing with joy before the Lord. I mean, what a day that is going to be. But for now, let's go mend the world. Jesus, we've been drinking from a fire hydrant about your goodness and your glory and the power of the resurrection that we have to fulfill the calling to mend the world. Father, we are little lights. We are little stick trees. Would you use us to bring the glow of the gospel to light the world to the most broken and the most needy and the most hurting, but let that gospel work begin in us first. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. 
If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.